0: Wikileaks founder Julian Assange has been arbitrarily detained by Sweden and the United Kingdom since his arrest in London on 7 December 2010 as a result of the legal action taken against him by both governments. The expert panel call on the Swedish and British authorities to end Mr. Assange's deprivation of liberty. I think the recommendation is quite clear. Respect his physical integrity and freedom of movement, and afford him the right to compensation.
1: Okay, that is Anton Karras, the third man uh, theme. And I have not heard that now in two years. This is Randy critical Live on the Fly uh, in um, cooperation with COVID Action Magazine. And our uh, series is Julian Assange's Countdown to Freedom. Uh, we started this series actually three years ago. And the gentleman up front, I think his name is Christoph uh, Christophe Pachot uh, from the U.N., a working group on arbitrary uh, detainment. That was three years ago. Three years ago when he made that uh, statement uh, at the U.N. after their findings. And we actually thought back then that Assange would be out. Uh, and that's why I started that series. Uh, and it's three years ago. Actually, three years ago. And it's just amazing that he is actually in worse shape right now. We'll get into that in a minute. Uh, I just want to thank... Um, Uh, uh, NYCPodcasters.com. This is like the best studio. I mean, I've been doing radio for 45 years. This is absolutely the best studio, and the people are great. So anyone uh, looking to do uh, podcasting, uh, I recommend that you go to NYCPodcasters.com because, like, this is my first time back in two years. And uh, I was a little nervous doing this, but they make you so comfortable, and they're so accommodating. And it's an incredible facility. They got, like, podcasting video. They got, like, two wonderful rooms in here. And uh, I'm in the big room today. So uh, these guys are great, and I and I really appreciate them um, being so accommodating. And I want to thank uh, Covert Action Magazine uh, picking up uh, the slack. Uh, we um, were at WBAI, uh, and I got a lot of heat uh, with this series Uh uh, this what turned out to be a 14-part series, and I got a lot of heat there by management, and I don't want to get into that right now. We switched over, and uh, Dennis Bernstein from KPFA picked up the uh, Assange series, and we did it there for a couple of years. But now that we're in, we're like in the stretch here, it's like 10 weeks away, not even that, six or seven weeks away from the uh, extradition hearing. I figured I want to do as many of these shows as possible. And COVID Action Magazine is uh, playing them. And I found, like I said, this is a godsend, this this studio. And uh, we have an incredible show today. We're going to be doing this every week. And I'll be going to London and to Scotland uh, to get interviews over there, uh, God willing. And a lot of things have uh, happened uh, since I last uh, did this uh, this series. Uh, a lot of things have happened. We'll get into that. I, we're we're going to, like, methodically... Go through where Assange is today, how he got there, uh, what's at stake here. We have Colleen Rowley uh, coming up, uh, the whistleblower. Uh, we have Tony Papa, who spent uh, 12 years in a maximum security prison at Sing Sing, the notorious Sing Sing. And we have an Argentine journalist, uh, award-winning investigative journalist uh, by the name of Sergio Kiernan. And what else can I talk about here? Um Tony's uh, incredible. It's an incredible story. He painted his way out of prison. And we are um, going to play here. I, have, I also have in the studio here Nathan Fuller, who is from the Courage uh, Foundation, which has been a leading advocate uh, for whistleblowers in general, but specifically in, in the last uh, year uh, or so uh, for the case of Julian Assange. Nathan, uh, welcome uh, to Live on the Fly Countdown to Freedom Assange, whatever. This is like the longest title. But um, Thanks for having me. So uh, just give us a little update uh, uh, what's happening uh, with Assange in in the sense of where is the movement right now?
2: Sure. So yeah, at Courage, we host uh, Assange's uh, Legal Defense Fund as well as the public campaign, the public defense campaign for Assange. We do that at defend.wikileaks.org. We have lots of information about Assange, uh, a live blog as far as political, legal, other updates on Assange. And um, so, yeah, I can tell you right now, he's remains in uh, prison in Belmarsh in London, one of the highest security prison in London, where he awaits his full extradition hearing scheduled to begin February 24th. Uh, so he's been he's been there since his arrest in April of 2019. Um now not not held on the uh, pretext of a bail violation anymore, but held just because of the U.S. extradition request. Right, and um, it's it's just amazing what he has gone through. I mean, basically, he's been
1: in jail for eight years. That whole bail thing, and then the the, the bogus Swedish Alec. There were never any charges, but we're going to do a whole show on that the following week uh, with uh, people that were involved in uh, the uh, challenging. Uh, this whole uh, this whole conspiracy with the Swedish government to falsify uh, allegations against Mr Assange and give him the reason to keep him in in, uh, in that embassy. Basically, he couldn't go out of the embassy in fear of arrest uh, for good reason. But you know, it's just the, the the time that he's done for bail skipping. I mean, people. I'm in New York City. How many people skip bail here? Yeah, do you think that they, you know, they, they, you do not get ten months in jail for skipping bail? Should be right? noted,
2: though, it's it's worth knowing that the bail violation. He's he served that sentence, and the Swedish investigation has been dropped, and he's still in jail. right. So right, the pretexts right. are gone. He's right. in there for the U.S.
1: Well, there's, you know, uh, there there is support. Uh, there are thousands of journalists who have already signed a petition. This this is not Assange. Is not. Necessarily, If you don't like Assange, you may not like Assange, you may not like the way he operates, but this is the First Amendment. This is free speech that is on trial in London, basically, because if he gets extradited here, he has no shot to win, particularly in that courtroom. And, you know, anonymous Scandinavia has put together a lot of sound files. Uh, for me, I'm going to play this because we're going to have Colleen Rowley uh, talk about this and other things in a few minutes. But uh, I have this um, video that's been turned into an audio clip, and this is Bill Kunzer. Bill Kunzer talking about the legal system here. Uh, you know, he was kind of like a godfather to me. I met him in '86, Bill Kunzer, and I, you know, lived in his house, and I had the Kunzer Fund for Racial Justice office in that house. And he pretty much summarizes. Uh, what is going on right now for Julian Assange. Uh, if you, this is post, uh, post-Chicago conspiracy trial in which everybody was convicted. And if we could just play, do we have that clip of uh, Kuntzler? Can we play that?
3: And that's the terrible myth of organized society, that everything that's done through the established system is legal, and that word has a powerful psychological impact. It makes people believe that there is an order to life and an order to a system, and that a person that goes through this order and is convicted has gotten all that is due him. And therefore society can turn its conscience off and look to other things and other times. And that's the terrible thing about these past trials is that they have this aura of legitimacy, this aura of legality. I suspect that better men than the world has known, and more of them have gone to their deaths through a legal system, than through all the illegalities in the history of man. Six million people in Europe during the Third Reich, legal. Sacco Vanzetti, quite legal. The Haymarket defendants, legal. The hundreds of rape trials throughout the South where black men were condemned to death, all legal. Jesus, legal. Socrates, legal. And that is the kaleidoscopic nature of what we live through here and in other places. Because all tyrants learn that it is far better to do this thing through some semblance of legality than to do it without that pretense.
1: Wow, so that is Bill Kunstler, I think 1970, uh, and you can see that uh, in the documentary called uh, "Disturbing the Universe by his kids emily and sarah kunstler uh, have you seen that the award-winning documentary on bill kunstler uh, well get that because it's a it is a compelling it is a fast-moving it is an educational film and these kids did an incredible job it's called disturbing the universe i want to thank anonymous scandinavia for putting together all of these sound files and making it easier uh, for me and these great technicians here for it's going like right now it's going better than i was expected i'll be honest with you but that was bill kunstler um and you know it was much easier for me when i was doing this series two year three years ago because i had julian assange helping me you know he was actually giving me advice he would say put this guest on." he got his mother on he got uh, the lawyers on uh whenever i said what do i do now and he said you don't need me But he did it three times. He did the show three times, but, you know, over a a year period of time. And he always, like, gave me recommendations for music. And before we go to... um, We are. We're going to go to her in one second. But this is one of his favorite versions. His favorite version of um, the band played Waltz and Matilda. It's by June Tabor, because I was looking for... There's so many versions of it. I worked with country Joe McDonald back in 86, and he played a version of it, and it was incredible. I used to cry, then I'd have to go on stage and follow him doing comedy. Uh, And so we're going to play June Tabor and come back with... um, uh, You know who uh, Colin Riley is. We're going to go... in one minute, we're just going to play a little bit of this. This is what Julian Assange recommended back in 2017, and we're going to play it uh, for you right now. June Tabor.
4: When I was a young man, I carried me back And I lived the free life of the rover From the Murray's green sun to the dusty outback I waltzed my Matilda all over. Then in 1915, the country said, "Son, it's time to stop rambling. There's work to be done." And they gave me a tin hat and they gave me a gun, and they sent me away to the war. And the band played Waltz and Matilda as our ship pulled away from the quay. Amidst all the cheers, the flag waving and tears, we sailed off to Gallipoli.
1: All right, June Tabor, that's one minute out of a six minute version of the band played Waltz and Matilda. And you are listening to. Uh, live on the Fly, uh, Assange Countdown to Freedom, uh, with the assistance of uh, the great magazine called uh, Covert Action Magazine. And uh, this is in memory of Bill and Ellen Ray. And also we want to thank Chris Agee, the son of Philip Agee, who runs that uh, magazine, along with Lou Wolf, who, one of the originators. And they were way ahead of their time. And so we have someone that's way ahead Of her time, and that is uh, the first uh, recipient of the prestigious Sam Adams Award for Integrity and Intelligence. She was on the front cover of Time magazine in 2002, and uh, she is fabulous. She's uh, worked with the FBI in Minnesota. She testified in front of Congress about 9/11. There's a lot we could talk about with Colleen Riley, but uh, we just want she got a big resume here, and she's. Really wonderful. Coling, uh, are you there?
5: Well, thanks, Randy. Um, one thing that people may not know about me is that I actually taught constitutional law, criminal procedure to FBI agents and police as part of my FBI career in the last 13 years. And so what William Kunstler said about how the law can be unjust, uh, he called it a semblance of law. It's very true. Sometimes uh, really bad laws, when they find that they can be improved on, you know, think about something like slavery. And, I mean, all the, we've had all kinds of illegal laws in the United States. Uh, John, you tried to legalize torture. Those, When those are found to be, then they change. And so the notion is that the law was never slavery. It was never torture. It was just people's misinterpretations misunderstand- mis- uh, of the law at the time. But um, I wanted to talk and give a brief history of a really terrible law that passed uh, just a couple of years after the song Waltzing Matilda um, uh, was written for. Back during World War I, just a few weeks before uh, the United States entered in 1917, the President Wilson wanted to enact censorship of the press. And he basically wanted to end freedom of speech uh, so that no one would criticize his efforts in World War I. If, if there's a long history to this, because a lot of people in the United States were against the U- U.S. getting into World War I. But when Wilson decided to do, to do that, he had a lot of criticism. So he wanted to pass a law that would end all criticism of him and uh, the war. And this law did pass. And, in fact, the censorship of the press part of it only failed to pass by one vote. Otherwise, we would have even had censorship. Back during the Civil War, uh, President Lincoln actually ordered his generals to round up editors. And they put editors in jail for criticizing Lincoln or the Union um, Army. So what Wilson was doing is he was wanting this to occur during World War I. Now, the Espionage Act, even though they, they had to take out the part about censorship of the press, it does prohibit interference with military operations or recruitment uh, to prevent insubordination in the military and prevent the support of, of United States enemies during wartime. Uh, it, it basically it makes it a crime to convey information with intent to interfere with the operation or success of the armed forces, uh, or to promote the success of enemies. Uh, and then it goes on from there. It's a it's a really um, a bad law in a lot of ways because it, at least initially, when it was first uh, during World War One, it was used basically to suppress speech of Eugene Dabbs, the the socialist president, was put into prison for five years for criticizing the war. Um, This is, I think, the most remarkable case that I found where this uh, Espionage Act of 1917 was used was, um, it's a famous case called uh, the Rutherford case. He was the... Head of the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society. And of course, he quoted some of the Bible about uh, bless the peacemakers and murder is, is wrong. You know, thou shalt not kill. All, all this uh, Rutherford, who was the head of the Watchtower Bible, was he, he published some of Bible verses. And one passage in particular was found to be so objectionable. And again, we're talking about 1918. Here's the passage for which he was, by the way, convicted for 20 years. Rutherford was convicted and sentenced to 20 years in prison for writing this. Nowhere in the New Testament is patriotism, a narrowly minded hatred of other peoples, encouraged. Everywhere and always murder in its every form is forbidden, and yet under the guise of patriotism, civil governments of the earth demand of peace-loving men the sacrifice of themselves and their loved ones and the butchery of their fellows, and hail it as a duty demanded by the laws of heaven. So that paragraph that I just read, which, of course, you could hear from any uh, church or mosque or temple, pulpit, anywhere, a guy was convicted for 20 years. uh, And that was probably the peak of the worst application of the Espionage Act of 1917. Now, you can fast forward. In World War II, there were not as many prosecutions of speech. Of, uh, under the Espionage Act. There were a few, but not nearly as many as in World War I. And I think, you know, what happens is people realize in a time of war, the passions are so high, and this patriotism, uber-patriotism, basically uh, blinds people. So even people on the jury uh, kind of lose their minds. But, you know, in the meantime, people had cooled off. And in World War II, there were some prosecutions, but not as many. But but after World War II, when you get to the McCarthy period, when you get to 1950, guess what happens? Uh, people think, you know, we're in the Cold War, and the, the government is scaring everyone, McCarthy especially, and they pass a new part of the Espionage Act that makes mere retention of information a crime. So it wasn't even just uh, publishing information. Uh, it was actually the mere retention of information. And so, for instance, if somebody, like a, a government official, was trying to write their memoirs, they could have been held guilty under this this form of the McCarran Act. Um, what, what also happened kind of over the years is that the notion that your First Amendment right, freedom of speech, could be trumped by uh, initially the test was a clear and present danger to national security, so initially that was what you we always knew that old case about yelling fire in a crowded theater, so the that old case came out of nineteen nineteen or something, and it it established uh, that it had to be a clear and present danger, like yelling fire in a crowded theater. but then, in nineteen fifty they had lowered that or uh, somewhere around uh, uh, excuse me not nineteen fifty in nineteen sixty nine they reduced that standard so that it had to be a clear and present danger, so your speech had to present a clear and present danger, and if that was the case, then you no longer had freedom of speech wow. so shortly after that, guess what happens in nineteen uh, what seventy two or seventy three you have the pentagon papers case, and when when nixon tried to shut down um, 17, 18, 19 different newspapers in the country who were all publishing the Pentagon Papers that Daniel Ellsberg had uh, leaked. And so initially they, uh, Nixon puts court orders on the New York Times and the Washington Post, and there are, there are cases that go up to the Supreme Court. And when that happened, because I, I will tell you one of the reasons is by that time, the Vietnam War was pretty unpopular. And when the wars finally become unpopular, the judges get some of their uh, – this goes back to Kunstler's point. The judges get more intelligent. They get some of their brains back. and And, and so they stopped Nixon from shutting down the press. Essentially, they said he could not – have a prior restraint of the press, but the one thing that the Ellsberg and Pentagon Papers did not decide was whether uh, that the Espionage Act, if used to censor the press this way for publishing uh, information that was you know previously secret government information that they say would harm the the military, et cetera, um, they didn't decide if any publishing of information would be if you tried to prosecute a newspaper or a publisher, if that would be unconstitutional. And so in the wake of the Pentagon Papers, many, many legal experts around the uh, country wrote uh, law reviews and treatises that they believed that it would, that, that application of the Espionage Act to stop publications of information that would be in the public interest even if it was previously classified they they, many experts thought that that would be unconstitutional including the New York Times lawyer the head lawyer in the New York Times that actually was you know defending against the Pentagon Papers many lawyers believe that now unfortunately we get to the post 9-11 wars uh, and now we see this old Espionage Act being reinvigorated first by Obama and now Trump.
1: Well, wait a second. And Obama, after- Obama, let's stop there for a second. Uh, with Obama, uh, he, I think, uh, prosecuted more people under the Espionage Act than all of the presidents after Wilson combined. I, I think I, I, I saw that figure somewhere.
5: Okay, but there's there's two things here. The, that's just a little confusing because the Espionage Act, you know, when I say the word espionage, what do you think of? You think of Robert Hansen and Aldrich James. You think of your CIA uh, double agents. You think right, of your FBI right. agents, Ivan Nicholson, Earl Pitts, right. uh, Robert Hansen. Uh, We're well, actually a lot of military. We have had a whole bunch of military officers who have turned into spies for all kinds of different countries. And in 1980, they called it the year of the spy. So in 1980, there's, there were a lot of prosecutions of real spies. Right. And right. so the Espionage Act it, itself, there's part of it, I think, myself, I think would be constitutional and, and, and actually fine to use against Robert Hansen. Uh, this is a spy who is making money off of selling secrets. Right. And, right. you know, so that's that I think is a perfectly legitimate uh, use of the Espionage Act. Now, what you just said is that Obama uh, prosecuted more uh, people under the Espionage Act than in all in all history. Guess what? He Obama prosecuted uh, good uh, Thomas Drake and John Kiriakou, and and uh, there's there's a bunch of them and of course now Snowden and Assange uh, are charged. He prosecuted people for leaking information about wrongful conduct, illegal conduct of the government, and so. Uh, uh, Obama and Trump uh, prosecuted at least eight, and I think now there's at least two or three more charged. There's a drone whistleblower, Daniel Hale, who's been charged recently. Reality Winner is serving the longest prison term, uh, five years right now, for having leaked a document. Jeffrey Sterling? There's, there's Sterling been as well? At least Justin eight. Manning. And I think there's a couple more beyond that now that have been charged. And that is more people prosecuted under that specific category of leaking information that is in the public interest that shows and exposes wrongful, illegal government conduct.
2: Whistleblowing.
1: So, yes, whistleblowing. Whistleblowing, L- let exactly. me, let me, Let's, let's, all right, so, so... Um, We know that uh, Obama did that, and Trump is doing it. Uh, Jeffrey Sterling, uh, we we can mention him as well. Uh, Now, how it relates to Julian Assange is now, I think, what is it, 13 counts under the Espionage Act? 17 17 counts. 17 counts. Each carrying up to 10 years. Each carrying up to 10 years. I'm I'm here with Nathan uh, Nathan Fuller from the uh, Courage Foundation, uh, who has supported whistleblowers. Uh, How does this— How do you look at the prosecution? Because Obama did not go after Assange. Eric Holder said, let's not do it. How do you figure that they use this? What's the justification? What's the motivation um, uh, to uh, target Julian Assange at at this point in time? And who's making the decision? Who's making the decision to do that?
5: Yeah, frankly, it's the exact same motivation as when Abraham Lincoln ordered his generals to round up editors, and as um, Wilson, who wanted to shut down the presses that were criticizing the U- U.S. entry into World War One. That's exactly what it is. It's exactly the, the the presidents do not want any criticism. There there is something else here that people don't know about, and that is that there's an executive order, and I can't tell you, um, maybe Nathan would know the exact year, but there's an executive order that is still in place that says that the government cannot classify information in order to cover up its own crimes. So, um, for instance, the, the crime that Snowden exposed was illegal warrantless surveillance of Americans. And now that's widely acknowledged it was totally illegal. It violated the the FISA law. now, in in that case, uh, Snowden would have an argument that the information he exposed would never uh, should never have been used. It should never have even been classified uh, because it was covering up a crime. and And so that's there, there, there's this problem. Unfortunately, guess who, gets to, guess who gets to classify and cover up all their crimes? The government. Uh, you know, go, again, go back to what William Kunstler said about the government and its ability to make law. If John Yu makes a law that says torture is legal, even though it's not legal, it's just his uh, crazy interpretation... Um, somebody should expose that. Somebody should have leaked his memo. By the way, uh, John, you because that should not have been protected. That should have been secret. That that secret memo that he said go ahead and torture. That should have been that should have been classified. Um, so we have a whole bunch of problems here. If we're to, uh, Snowden, of course, says this all the time. But if we're to have a democracy, you have to have the public understanding. Especially understanding if the government conducts illegal actions, why? because this is who they 're voting for if they if it's just a merely ignorant vote because they have no idea that Obama or trump or or Wilson or whoever it was or John you commits illegal acts, how are they, how can they vote intelligently? we can't have a democracy unless we have people allowed to know at the very least know at the very least know when their government commits completely illegal acts. And that's why we have that executive order. And that is also why you won't hear this from way. any president, Obama, or Trump, you won't hear it from any lawyer who works for a president. You will never hear that because they want to control the public information. Uh, right now, people in the military know that we are waging an information war. Um, and the information wars are uh, propaganda. They're war propaganda that involves a lot of deceit. Uh, you know, Trump and uh, Cheney's deceit about the weapons of mass destruction. That's just one of probably thousands of lies that have been told in the last, you know, uh, eighteen years. Uh, least most recently, all the lies about we're winning in Afghanistan that were just uh, came out in uh, the, something I would call the New Pentagon Papers, where the generals finally admitted that they didn't have the foggiest notion of what they were doing. But they would go on television and they would lie, lie, lie that, you know, we were going to win the war just like in Vietnam. Well, this is what is called information war. And and so our government does not want to tell the truth about things. And so if you have any way of telling the truth uh, through a whistleblower, through a very courageous, you know, media outlet like WikiLeaks or in the past uh, at the New York Times and Washington Post, back during Watergate, all of the the courage that then existed, that no longer does. For the most part, our corporate media is going along with the information war. And they they don't have any uh, Woodward and Bernsteins and – and rx stones and and all of the the very courageous journalists that existed back during the vietnam war and so um working leaks came along and they were telling the truth about things they were they were publishing documents just like the pentagon papers and that posed a serious risk to uh the wars because if people know the truth and they know that the wars are not justified if they know that we're we're massacring people, you know, like in Libya, you know, bombing all kinds of civilians and whatever, drone assassination. When people know this, when Americans know this, they do not by and large maybe there's a few that that are for that there are some but it's about 60 or so percent certainly a majority of americans will not condone illegal actions like this and mass foreign massacres etc and so they have to cover it up let me and, ask you... um, and that's exactly the reason why they're trying to make an example of of uh, assange they want no longer anyone to be brave enough and unfortunately, it's it's mostly worked on our, most of our corporate media. There's there's not very very few with the bravery of Julian Assange and WikiLeaks. They just do what they're told. They put their head down and they regurgitate the war propaganda.
1: He's quite the uh, a very courageous individual, and yet you know, you know uh, since he uh, has been uh, basically stifled uh, way back uh, April of two thousand. And ninety, actually, two thousand and eighteen hasn't been able to really operate, and he's been spied. You have this undercover global in there. I was in the embassy three times. We just talked. B, we just talked BS. But all of that stuff was being videotaped and and audiotaped. And you know, I was, you know, thinking, we were talking about nothing. I would never asked him about Vault Seven or any of it because the guy is such a great conversationalist. Has a great sense of humor. And uh, like I said, here he is. He's been shut up. He's been stifled. Uh, how much have we lost? Uh, how much have we, have we as a society, since he has been? Um, been stifled by by the uh, by this prosecution this persecution uh, what would we know right now possibly if he was free to operate because WikiLeaks is Julian Assange or vice versa without him you know what I mean he is the quarterback and the wide receiver and the kicker I mean he really is the without him the heart and soul of WikiLeaks is not there.
5: yeah um, you know what Julian Assange said at the start is he said courage is contagious. And, um, of course, that's what the government is afraid of. The government is afraid that there would be uh, successors to Julian Assange who would be brave enough to publish the truth. Um, So that's exactly why he's being prosecuted. Now, um, when Julian Assange was stifled... Essentially, there wasn't anyone really brave enough to step up, and I'm talking about the New York Times and The Guardian and all of our the Le Monde and uh, the German newspapers. They had published when when Julian Assange had gotten the documents from um, from uh, Chelsea Manning. Uh, Chelsea Manning, of course, had, had leaked a lot of documents showing illegal torture and assassinations and war crimes, so war crimes in both Afghanistan and in uh, in Iraq. Uh, also a lot of nefarious uh, embassy goings on, very wrongful conduct of spying on, on allies and et cetera, all kinds of things. And so when those were published, those were kind of the last time we've seen some real honest publication. The, the Intercept, for instance, uh, just as an example, I'm not using them as, you know, to point them out, but uh, Scahill and the others in the Intercept, they tried to emulate. They did try. Uh, they set up a, a system whereby anonymous sources could send documents to, um, to them, And at least on three occasions, and these did result in stories, very very newsworthy stories about drone assassination that Scahill published. There was another one on uh, the FBI. There was one actually locally here on the FBI that was uh, using, uh, targeting uh, uh, Muslims and mosques and other things. So there were three different stories that The Intercept published uh, via anonymous sources. But guess what? That the way they were handling it was so poor that all three of those whistleblowerslash leakers have now either been charged or are actually in prison. And so if you look at the success that, um, that WikiLeaks was having in getting information out compared to now, it's almost, it's, there's no comparison. Because the only thing that we will occasionally get from our corporate news, if you read a lot, if you actually read between the lines, occasionally there will be some government official who will sometimes almost inadvertently tell the truth. Once in a while, a government official will almost inadvertently tell the truth. And I would say the example of that was this latest um, this latest uh, thing about the Afghanistan war and all the generals admitting that they did not have the foggiest notion. So that, that, that's the only little bit of truth we're getting now. Um, and be- beforehand, with WikiLeaks, what people don't understand as well is WikiLeaks was not just exposing American war crimes. They were exposing frauds, very serious government frauds all over the world, Iceland, Africa, even Russia. They, they published uh, different, uh, different uh, stories that actually were tr- true and honest because they, were, they have a 100% track record of being correct and accurate about the documents they're publishing. And they were on a lot of different things. And, and the fact is there's very little way now of learning the truth. And so the, the, ignorant, the public is kept in ignorance.
1: Okay, well, Colleen Raleigh, I got to tell you something that was uh, very informative. Uh, uh, this is uh, Randy Critical Live on the Fly. Uh, this is Assange Countdown to Freedom. You're our first guest. You, I want you to know that on this series, and and uh, boy, that was like I said. Uh, a fountainhead of, of really good information. Uh, we want to have you back because there's a whole lot of questions I want to uh, follow up on with you. Do uh,
5: I have one minute left? Yes, you have one. one thing. You
1: got you got that one okay. minute, and then we're going to go okay. to Barry I McGuire. I to
5: add that this old Espionage Act of 1917 would have a very easy fix, which is that it should allow defendants to explain that they were exposing illegal con- conduct and, therefore, that the information was in the public interest. Right now, that doesn't exist. If that existed, it would really clear up most of the problem. And as Kuntzler said, now we would actually have real law as opposed to the quote-unquote semblance of law.
1: Wow. That's pretty heavy. Well, you, you will come back, right? Sure. We'll have you back because we have a lot more questions. I I, I appreciate calling, uh Are you with the? Uh, are you still with the Sam Adams uh, organization? Yes, and our Sam Adams
5: is going to hold its seventeenth annual award um, to Jeffrey Sterling oh, wow. in Washington D.C. in about a week. Oh wow! It'll be our seventeenth. Yeah, our 17th annual, and we gave awards to both Julian Assange and WikiLeaks and to Chelsea Manning, and poor Chelsea Manning has been now in jail for for months and months and months on the same uh, wrongful pretext right. as Assange.
1: Right. Craig Murray got one, uh, Thomas Drake, Jessalyn Raddick, uh, John Kirioku. Uh, uh, Bill, Benny, Seymour Hirsch, uh, you're in good company there. And uh, we, but we have to run right now. And uh, I'm going to try to make it to that dinner. Okay, I was there two years ago. That's where I met you. I think two and a half years ago to the Sam Adams Award dinner next week. Jeffrey Sterling in D.C. Hopefully, I can make that um, cool. and uh, give my best to Ray McGovern uh, and all the others at the uh, at that great outfit at VIPs. All right. Thank you very much, Colleen Raleigh, and uh, we'll be back in touch with you very soon. All right. Thank you, Colleen Raleigh. And uh, we're going to focus now on the uh, kind of conditions that Julian Assange is currently undergoing or has been uh, facing the last seven months in Belmores prison and uh, what's in store for him uh, if he comes to the U.S. and... Will definitely get convicted and face uh, hard prison time. Uh, we're going to talk in just a minute with someone that knows all about uh, the conditions of prisons in the United States, uh, a former um, prisoner at Sing Sing, uh, Anthony Papa. We'll be right back. We're going to set up the mood here uh, with little Sam Cook, and we'll be right back with Anthony Papa.
6: Uh, then you hear somebody say, that's the sound of the men working on the chain, yeah, that's the sound of the men working on the chain, yeah, can't you hear them saying, Game. That's the sound of the men working on the chain. Game. All day long, they say, My work is so hard, give me water. Oh. I'm thirsty. My. Oh. my work is so hard.
1: Oh, my, 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 my. That was the, uh, great uh, Sam Cooke. What a great tune that is. Um, I'm Randy Credico, here with Nathan Fuller, uh, and joining us uh, here in... He's in Brooklyn, I believe, is a um, former prisoner uh, in Sing Sing, which is one of the most notorious, dank, medieval prisons in the country, but not unlike a lot of other prisons here. Thank you for uh, joining us. Tony is also the author of... um, 15 Years to Life, and uh, This Side of Freedom. You can pick up both of those books, I believe, on Amazon. Uh, Tony, welcome uh, to uh, Assange Countdown to Freedom.
7: Randy, thanks so much for having me on the show.
1: First of all, Tony, uh, as you know, uh, uh, Mr. Assange has been in probably one of the most... Uh, Repressive, one of the most oppressive, anyway, uh, prisons uh, in the UK. It's it's pretty bad. It's got a very bad reputation. He's been there for uh, eight or nine uh, months already, I believe. Is that right, Nathan?
2: Yes, he's been there since April
1: 2019. A- a- okay, so uh, now if he gets convicted, he'll be sent over here, Tony. Uh, how bad? I mean, you you twelve years. You did twelve years at Sing Sing. Uh, how bad are the conditions? That pretty much epitomizes. Uh, Sing Sing, uh the kind of conditions that we have in U.S. prisons. What kind of life uh, would Julian Assange be facing in uh, one of these U.S. prisons?
7: Well, Julian Assange, uh, now you he got a taste of uh, loss to freedom. Uh, when he comes to, if he gets extradited, he comes to uh, the United States and wanted to prison, he faces another level of loss of freedom. Um... Prison conditions in the, in the United States are horrible. Uh, I, mean, I did 12 years of maximum security prison. I've, I, I lost my identity, lost the family. I mean, life, as you know, it, it becomes a, 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 a dream. Uh, it, it's a different world. Um, uh, brutal conditions exist in the gulags of the United States on both federal and state levels. I've been in touch with many prisoners I I conduct a prison uh, letter project where uh, prisoners all over the United States write me and talk about the conditions they face. And uh, it's not only a physical loss, it's uh, the psychological loss of being incarcerated, of being taken away from your family, of uh, loved ones that you face. And prison doesn't stop at the prison walls. It it extends far beyond it, uh, facing your loved ones, I'm sure his mother is suffering uh his family members are suffering much for him being uh, in the in the situation he's in but uh it's a world of despair uh at the prisons of the united states uh and uh i i hope he doesn't get excited and come here because uh, he faces a rude awakening if he does
1: it's it's pretty tough uh, tony uh um sir, nathan do you have a question
2: for tony papa just worth uh, noting that Nils Melsner has already visited, uh, the UN Rapporteur on Torture has already visited uh, Assange in prison. That was back in May 2019, just a month into his sentence, and was already saying he noticed signs of psychological torture. So um, that was just er- you know early on in this stage, and he faces up to uh, 175 years if you were convicted here, so an effective death sentence. Wow.
7: Yeah, to have a sentence like that, it, you're facing a... Uh... World of uh, despair, a world of hopelessness. Uh, you learn the concept of of learned hopelessness. Anything you do becomes futile uh, because of the system. They violate all all of your rights. You're thrown into a cage like an animal, and you're, and you're treated like an animal. Uh, the the system likes to break down people. Uh, to become part of the collective, uh, they don't like individuals uh, acting in an individual capacity. They want to control your whole life. You know, your life it, in in these prisons in the United States is controlled by bells, but controlled by you know lockins. You know, they tell you when to eat, when to sleep, when to go to the bathroom. It's a, it's a horrible condition, uh, and uh, it total human rights violations exist. and And I get this firsthand. Um, the hundreds and hundreds of people in prison that write me and tell me about the conditions ask because I, I started this project to try to get media attention to these prisoners to, to, to try to get them uh, a, a shot at getting coverage is a it, is it difference between having coverage and not coverage because at least what Julian has got going for him he's a well-known uh, figure political figure and it, people are going to Watch his case, so I think that that's going to save him in uh, some capacity, where his, c- his case is going to be uh, strictly construed and looked upon. Uh, if you if you if you was just a regular prisoner like the hundreds that write me, I mean they. Totally uh, denied uh, all their constitutional rights and and treated like dogs uh, being in in the prison. So I hope I hope, uh, like I said, he doesn't become extradited and and wind up in in prisons in the United States. Tony, Um, people have uh, uh, it's it's a long hard road for him.
2: People have visited Assange have uh, worried about both his physical and mental health already, noticing he's lost weight and. Um, as I said, the U.N. Rapporteur on Torture is, is talking about psychological torture effects. Um, and so a big question is uh, is about health care and mental health care. And just wondering, Tony, if you could talk about what is health care like in prison and what is mental health care like? Yeah,
7: I, sure. I was actually uh, uh, in prison. I became a jailhouse kind of attorney. Uh, I, was, uh, I was a legal assistant. I, I visited the mental health a clinic in the prisons, and basically they don't exist. They just put people with mental health issues. The way they control them is just medicate them. Uh, that's the way they control the prison population. If, he, if, pers- if a person who has a mental health issue goes through a shrink in prison, what they're gonna do is give them type of psychotropic drugs to control them. That's how they solve all the problems, because they they give them medication, they change that, they become zombies. I've seen people, uh, it happened to firsthand when I was in prison, and uh, hopefully he doesn't reach that level where he needs to go to a shrink and uh, be treated, because what they're going to try to do is control him by giving him these drugs that are going to totally ruin him.
1: What about the health care in general, like if he gets sick in prison, Tony? Health care is
7: at the minimum level. People die all the time in prison when they don't have to die. I get letters from prisoners telling me that they're, they're not getting the treatment that they need. Firsthand, when I was in prison, I know that health care is horrible. Uh, it's very limited. And you could die so easily by them just ignoring conditions. Uh, uh, people people die all the time. Uh, there was a girl that worked with uh, us, Randy, remember? She served uh, 10 years in prison. She had cancer. They didn't treat it properly. They didn't even know about it. She came out and she died within two years. Veronica Floyd. So, yes. A lot of uh, illnesses. Uh, go uh, 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 undiagnosed and, and people die for, for no reason in prison.
1: Well, let me ask you this, Tony. Yes, we know you got no health care. I mean, look, you're in that situation. Somebody wants to get to you. I look at uh, this guy Epstein. I look at Whitey Bulger. Uh, there, You can get to anybody in prison, right? I mean, there, there really is no... There's no
7: way to run. You're right. I there's mean, no if somebody wants right. to
1: get you, they We're can get right you. Here. I mean, there's like you know, there's no way it's you true. can totally be protected, even by uh, the, the prison authorities. Am I right?
7: No, the, the prison authorities can't 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 protect you. Uh, I mean, this I, I know firsthand. This is true for my treatment and, and when I went to Sing Sing, uh, people uh, they, they got hits taken out on them, taken out. People, I've seen people get murdered. Uh, over, over nothing, and and uh, there's no protection. Really. God's even if he goes to solitary to find a way, they get to you sooner or later. There's nowhere to run. That's the problem. Sooner or later, you're gonna um, catch what you. are You know, if uh, people put a hit on you, or you're gonna, you're gonna get catch a bad decision.
1: Well, we know Lori Love uh, was uh, not extradited. He's another. Uh, a gentleman, uh, I guess he was a hacker who was uh, – they were trying to extradite – Julian Assange is not a hacker. He's a journalist. But um, Lori Love, uh, who the uh, – your foundation, I think, supported. In, uh, right. UK uh, citizen yes, uh, alleged UK, to have UK, hacked, He was yeah. alleged to have hacked. But at any rate, they wouldn't extradite him over here because they cited prison conditions. I mean prison conditions across the country. There's like really no oversight in the US. There's no oversight, right? that none
7: at all i mean it's a hands-off policy with the courts they don't want to get involved they let the prisons do what they want and this is a problem there are walls of silence built around the prisons of the united states and in turn these walls build barriers that, that enable the the prison administration to get away with murder uh treating people like dogs and not giving them proper medical treatment uh it's it's a horrible way of life and and i I know this firsthand because I'm in contact daily with hundreds of prisoners writing me letters of the conditions in the United States. So oh, I, I hope uh, he doesn't get extradited and have yeah. to go through uh, the, the 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 issue of dealing with uh, life in prison in right. the United
1: well, States. Well, he has no chance of being. You can't imagine that he would, if he is uh, extradited here, of him actually being acquitted. Right? There's like uh, no chance of that. And uh, once he and while he's even waiting while he is awaiting trial it, while he's in the u.s could take a year how bad are the holding cells like mcc how bad are the conditions of the pre pre uh, prison uh cells well,
7: look, look it, they're horrible look what happened to uh who was just murdered in prison jeffrey epstein uh, allegedly murdered yeah. epstein i mean it, it happens all the time these these pre-detention these pre-prison spots are, are even worse because there's nothing set up in re- reference to long term uh, um, living. Uh, in in prisons, they have people want to do time, they have programs, uh, you you can live a uh, proper life in a way of where prison goes. But in these pre-prison places, these detention centers, these are all temporary, so they don't have programs. they just throw you in a cell 23 hours a day. You're locked in a cell. You have no uh, programs to, to, to treat people like human beings. So they're even worse, these previous sentient centers. Uh, uh, horrible, horrible, indeed. All
1: right. Well, Anthony Papa, I, I think you've, uh, those people who are not concerned uh, should be concerned. Uh, about uh, what yes. would happen if Julian Assange were to come to this country what he's facing, people really need to prevent that from happening and Tony, thank you very much we'll uh, we'll get back to you and thank you for all your great work and uh, the wonderful books and uh, all the uh, great stuff that you've done uh, since your release in 1995, you're, you're a real inspiration, Anthony Papa uh, who uh, has two books out, it's uh, 15 to Life and uh, this side of freedom. And you can get, uh, Tony, how do they reach you? People want to?
7: Yeah, you could go to my website, 15tolife.com, 15tolife.com, and also I'm an artist. Uh, I actually have an exhibit at Tufts University on the 23rd, uh, Artists Against the the Justice System. And uh, you can see my art, you can read about my story, And uh, thanks so much for having me on your show, uh, Randy.
1: All right. Thank you. All right. Just uh, that was Anthony Papa. Anthony Papa. Look, folks, we uh, had some technical difficulties with our call, uh, our scheduled uh, uh, interview with uh, my good friend from Argentina, Sergio Kiernan. But it's okay. Uh, These guys picked up the slack calling rally and uh, Anthony Papa and, uh, of course, Nathan, uh, here in the studio from the uh, Courage Foundation. Uh, I want to thank uh, New York City uh, uh, for being so accommodating and patient with me and helping, nursing me through this uh, initial uh, return here. This is our initial, after two years, this is Assange Countdown to Freedom with uh, my good friends at uh, the, the great, uh, great magazine, Covert Action Magazine. Uh, thank you, uh, Chris, and everybody else involved. Uh, the book. Listen, this, just a couple of things. The book. There's a new book out. Uh, it's called "In Defense of Julian Assange," and it's uh, edited by Tariq Ali and Margaret uh, Ratner kunzler Margaret Kunstler, Uh You can get that. There's like 30 journalists here, and uh, 30, uh, you know, intellectuals and personalities and lawyers who who've contributed to this great book. And I don't know where you get that, but just go online and look up—
2: Orbooks.com.
1: Orbooks.com. Yes, Orbooks.com. Colin Robinson, uh, In Defense of Julian Assange. It's an incredible read. Uh, And what else? I think that's just about it. I just want to thank you for uh, dropping in and uh, co-piloting this uh, initial voyage here. Happy to. Uh, Nathan Fuller, uh, who is at Courage Foundation.
2: Uh, How do people— reach courage foundation yeah get to uh, get caught up with the assange case at defend.wikileaks.org you can learn more about courage as an organization that supports other uh journalistic sources and whistleblowers like jeremy hammond and chelsea manning that's at couragefound.org and oh. we're on uh twitter at courage found so please do check us well, out
1: okay you guys are, are doing incredible work and i want to uh I guess that's just about it. We're going to go out. We'll be back next week uh, with uh, the great attorney, uh, Estelle de Horn, uh, to talk about the uh, the whole Swedish situation. That actually uh, is it for us today. Uh, next week, possibly, we'll be able to hook up with Sergio Kiernan in Buenos Aires. Uh, it's, it, there's like a lot of problems on his end, not on this end. Uh, NYCPodcasting.com. Uh, really is a state-of-the-art uh, studio, uh, podcasting place. It really was great. Isn't it nice here? Huh? Excellent. Yeah. Isn't this a great place? And um, they do miracles here. And you go to nycpodcasting.com if you're looking to do uh, any uh, podcasting uh, or you know if you want to just come in and record because it's, like I said, state-of-the-art. I want to thank uh, Covert Action Magazine for uh, – being part of this, uh, I want to thank Colleen Rowley, uh, and I want to thank uh, Anthony
2: Pop. I want to thank you, Nathan. Uh, people who want to get involved, uh, what do they do? For updates on Assange's case and more information, go to defend.wikileaks.org. And then to learn more about Courage generally, we support other whistleblowers and journalistic sources. Uh, so go to couragefound.org and, and find us at Courage Found on Twitter.
1: All right. Now, here's something, folks, uh, before we go. Uh, I, I, I want to play uh, this excerpt of uh, a little speech by John Pilger, who uh, will be on this show in a couple of weeks. Uh, he's done about 20 of these Assange series shows uh, with me and with Dennis Bernstein, and he really you know, is still going strong, got a new film out. He and Roger Wa- Waters were outside the FCO in London, and here's a little pastiche of his speech, and we'll get you on the other side here. John Pilger.
0: The behavior of the British government towards Julian Assange is a disgrace, a profanity on the very notion of human rights. It's no exaggeration to say that the treatment and persecution of Julian Assange is the way dictatorships treat a political prisoner. There is one reason for this. Julian and WikiLeaks have performed an historic public service by giving millions of people facts on why and how their governments deceive them secretly and often illegally, why they invade countries, why they spy on us. Julian is singled out for special treatment for one reason only. He is a truth teller. His case is meant to send a warning to every journalist and every publisher. The kind of warning that has no place in a democracy.
1: Rather powerful there, John Pilger. Um, What a great guy. And he's in this book, by the way. And the book is In Defense of Assange. Um, And it's... Co-edited by Terry Kelly and Margaret uh, Kunstler, and you can get it at Or Books. Or Books, get it. It's great. Got about 30 different uh, writers and uh, journalists and uh, showbiz types. Uh, thank you. And uh, there, there will be a vigil uh, every Thursday at 4:30 at uh, Grand Central. Uh, for Assange and Chelsea Manning and other political prisoners every Thursday at 4.30. We'll have somebody from that group on next week. I uh, want to thank once again everybody involved here. Anonymous Scandinavia, thank you for all of the great stuff you did for the show today. And thank you guys once again at nycpodcasting.com. Thank you. Here's Johnny Cash. <laughs>
6: San Quentin, you've been living hell to me. You've blistered me since 1963. I've seen them come and go, and I've seen them die. And long ago, I stopped asking why. San Quentin, I hate every inch of you. <clears throat> You cut me and you scarred me through and through And I'll walk out a wiser, weaker man Mr. Congressman, you can't understand good do you think you do do you think i'll be different when you're through you bend my heart and mind and you warp my soul your stone walls turn my blood a little cold san quentin may you rot and burn in hell May your walls fall, and may I live to tell. May all the world forget you ever stood, and may all the world regret you did no good. San Quentin, I hate every inch of you.